So today we read the second story of creation, Genesis. As you all know, there were two creation stories in Genesis. One found in chapter 1, one in chapter 2. Genesis 1 tells us that really gorgeous story of how God creates the entire cosmos and the earth in seven days and makes man kind of a godlike authority over all the earth. The second story is a simpler one. It's more linear. God creates a humanity that is not so godlike. And then as we heard today, man was punished because he attempted to be godlike when they ate of the, the fruit of the tree of good and evil. I bet you can guess which story I prefer. The humans that were created from the earth were put on the earth in the Garden of Eden to tend to it and to keep it. In other words, the earthlings were told to live with the land, be good stewards of the land, and enjoy its abundance. And then the first story is a completely different logic, where God tells humans to subdue the earth, to dominate it. So what I appreciate about this second creation story the most, though, is that God didn't make man to be the center of the universe, but rather made man to be a part of the brilliant relational design. We were created to be conduits to God's work in the world, not to be God. And the moment that humans tried to be like God... Everything fell apart. Sin entered into human history. And now we're forever fighting this complex that I'm calling the God complex, which is this ancient problem that Augustine calls original sin, right? Humanity's inherited this nature to disobey God and to turn to our own selfish desires. And original sin, I think, is also this idea that we can know and be God and discern good and evil like God can, or what I'm calling the God complex. And that our limited ability to do so makes us the rulers of the earth because we know best and our interests matter most. This is a very human-centric theology, and I think... It's gotten us into a lot of trouble over the last millennia and has made us lose sight of our responsibility to one another and to all of creation. I'll give you a, a stark example of this problem. When I was hunting in New Mexico for elk a couple months ago, as you all know, I got to spend some time with some local cattle ranchers and hear about their struggles living on the land. And this particular region we were hunting in has been a beta testing site for the reintroduction of the Mexican gray wolf. And for those of you who don't know, wolves have been almost completely and systematically eradicated from the United States because they kill livestock. And I've been fascinated with the shift in politics around living with wolves. And so the last couple years, I've been reading everything I can get my hands on. And it was really telling to hear the cattle rancher's perspective about the complexity of the issue 
And there's various opinions about living with or without wolves. I won't bore you with those, but know that this particular couple was very anti-wolf. They even had a placard on their car that had the word wolf and a big X through it. But what was the most wild thing to me is that their cattle grazed on national forest land. They had a special permit. And you know what lives in national forests? The wolves and all sorts of other predators, you know, bobcats, mountain lions, bears, coyotes, you name it. So these cattle ranchers' solution is to protect their livelihood, which I understand, but their, their strategy was they wanted to eradicate the threat altogether. But their cattle were on public land, in wild spaces with wild creatures all made according to their kinds. They wanted the national forest and everything that lived within it to bend to their will and their purpose. And as a priest, I was like, huh. <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't gonna get into it. I just sipped my coffee and I was like, oh, that's so sad. Um, but this is an example of a very human-centric theology, right? And so it made me think while I was there, how would you get a cattle rancher or any other human, for that matter, who thinks that land and natural resources are only matters of human consumption to understand and to live into a theologic that we share the land? and all of creation because it is a gift from God. And to believe also that all of creation has a purpose in the balance of the great ecological biosphere that God created. Perhaps our theology can help us here. I've been reading a book a parishioner has given me recently about a woman who lives in rural Wyoming who's been raising um, a wild coyote and she articulates the problem of the God complex and a, a theology of, a re, of our relationship to the land really, really well when she says predation should be looked at as the nature tax. That ranchers give a certain percentage of their capital to the government as taxes, and they should expect also to give up a certain percentage to nature. But there's this war between humans and predators for the land to call their territory, and for the animals off which they live, the cattle, the sheep, the deer, the elk. Most ranchers and hunters would prefer there be less or none of the wild predators at all, but people feel entitled to take the land, their resources, and the wilderness as their own, without giving up anything to the land they are running on. And predators survive off what men want to keep as their own. Man does not want to share. So what I'm trying to show here in this is that there is this constant temptation that we face as humans, this temptation to think that everything and everyone should bend to our will. As if we were God and we know what's best. You could also name this ancient sin selfishness, or the Greeks talked about that word hubris, 
or what I'm calling the God complex. Jesus experienced this in the wilderness that we read today, right? The, the Satan asked him, you know, turn this, this rock into bread for your sustenance, even though I know you're fasting. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. I worship God alone. Then this, for me, begs the question, how do we center God instead of ourselves? I like how Shreve explained our responsibility to the land as a tax. As troubling as that metaphor could be. But we can all understand that in our economic system, right? And I think we could extend that metaphor to the ultimate tax God paid for our brokenness and disobedience and Christ's death on the cross. The way of the cross is God's perfect example of what a loving relationship looks like. The vulnerability, the sacrifice, the pain, the suffering, but also the reciprocity, compassion, grace, and forgiveness. And as Christians, I think we are called to walk the way of the cross and live into this divine pattern of the Paschal, Paschal mystery of the life, death, and resurrection through the way in which we behave in the world through our relationships. And as we say in our Eucharistic prayer in a moment, it is our call to share the sacrifice of our lives, ourselves, our souls, our bodies with God for his purposes for creation. And we do this out of our praise and thanksgiving for our Lord God that showed us mercy and forgiveness first through his great gift, the sacrificial sharing of his life and his body. So one way we could live into this practice during Lent is to join us every Friday at 5.30 on the live stream where we meditate on the Stations of the Cross. And for those of you who don't know, this is an ancient tradition where we have 14 different images that kind of walk through Christ's passion. And I think the point of this practice and why it's so helpful is that we intentionally sit in Christ's suffering as a way to decenter ourselves from the narrative of creation. The suffering God we are to imitate is a really difficult image and ideal to absorb and to make manifest in our lives. But through it, I think we should just see the love, the greatest of love that would lay down one's life for one's friends. And even on the cross, Christ offered forgiveness and grace to those who killed him. So what does walking in the way of the cross look like amongst the wolves and the rest of creation that doesn't immediately serve our interests? I wonder if we worked on deepening our relationship with those things and people and saw them instead as gifts from God, how that might change our hearts and our behavior. So friends, I pray that during this Lent, you would constantly return to God as your center, even if it requires the way of the cross and the trampling of temptation. For only Christ 
is our strength and our Redeemer. Amen.